Pulls up the three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. Welcome to the MVP cast from me, Mark Woods. Thanks as always for joining us. We are sponsored by Team Sports, the new AI multi-sport app that provides professional tools at an affordable price for every team. It helps players improve their performance and it helps their health and well-being. You can find out more by visiting teamsports.pro, that's with a Z, or download the app on your iPhone or Android. So it's International Week. And for Great Britain's men, it means a date on Thursday night in Newcastle, the opening game of the qualifiers for the 2023 FIBA World Cup, GBV Greece in Newcastle, followed by a trip to Istanbul on Sunday to face Turkey. Both those games you'll be able to watch, of course, on MVP247.com. But who better to chat to ahead of this big doubleheader than one of our brightest young talents is currently in his second spell in the Italian league playing for that wonderfully named Latina. He's on guard, he's on the case. He's Dwayne Lotia Ogunle. Welcome to the MVP cast, Dwayne. Thank you for having me, Mark. Um, Italy, I mean, it, it's it's always a great place to be. Um, you started the season with Udine. Again, the brilliantly named, here's the official title, the Apu Old Wild West Udine. Best club name <laughs> in history. Um, four games there, and then you switched to Latina. Now, how's, how's the experience of the Italian league so far this season? Um, it's been a great start. Um, I had the opportunity to be part of Udine, APU, at the start of the year. They were a very professional club, high aspirations. Um, it was great to be a part of um, a winning culture at a professional level and played four games of Supercopa and then four games of league. And now I'm transferring over to Latina. What's what's the level of Liga do? I mean, you 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 know what the BBL's like. Compare it to compare it to that level. So compared it to BBL, I would say athleticism wise and physicality is probably a little less. However, the technical aspects, the the way the game is played, the the way scouting and preparation is taken in, I think it's on a much higher level. And how do you, I mean, obviously you've been there before, but how do you prep yourself when you're going into a league? I mean, do you do you just rock up and day one at camp and take each game as it comes? Or do you sit down in the summer and go, right, these are the players in this league, these are the teams, what can I find out about them? How much prep goes on there? When I'm looking for a new team? Yeah, or going, or going to a new team where you've agreed a new team. Um, once I've, well, I mean, really the summer process is concentrating just on myself. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have an agent that's kind of on the case and all that team stuff, he, he kind of gets into it and we have conversations about what I want, what kind of role I want to be in, what team might work well for me. But mostly he just allows me to just relax and unwind after a long year and he takes care of that but once i lock in and i know where i'm going it's pretty much just finding out how the coach is um his thoughts of it and just coming in with an open mind and trying to be the best teammate i can really um there's, there's not much to it uh, basketball is the same pretty much everywhere you go in the world but it's about how you adjust and how you fit in and how much you want to buy into the system that will really determine the outcome. Now, Italy's kind of unusual in Europe in the sense that they 
a bit like the BBL does. They treat every foreigner equally, kind of nice. So there's there's not as much of the issue of her passports and things like that. But you know, as people will notice, you've got a double barrel name. One is a French part through your mum. One is Nigerian through your dad. Um, and you must feel like, yeah, to your mother, this is one of the best presents she can give you is this glorious burgundy EU passport that, that you know, the world has been your oyster in the past, you know, when everyone else is panicking because of Brexit. It's definitely helped because I I haven't stressed over it probably as much as some of my of my friends have. Um, yes, it's been good. Um, it's crazy because I played in France last year, and a lot of the teams thought that I might be able to actually count as a French player simply because of the French passport. But we found out that the rule was you would have needed to play four years before the age of twenty one. So because I didn't do that, I still kind of as an EU. But in terms of teams, I'm just appealing when it comes to, in essence, having to import an American because I went through the collegiate system and I don't count for a visa. So it's a lot easier to just get me over here as quickly as possible. Did the French Federation ever try to approach you or approach you as a kid, even though you obviously made England under you know, 16, 18 teams? The French Federation never approached me. I remember after... I played against France under 16s. They not approached me to play, but approached me as in, your name is Lotier. Are you French? Why are you playing in England? And <laughs> then after that, I actually had, um, when I was 16, I actually ended up going for a trial for a team called SIG Strasbourg in France. And they actually offered me to, to come there and play part of the Espoirs team and in essence, go to school and go through the, the system in France. But I ended up turning it down because later down the road, I thought I might want to go to college and university. So, but we can talk about that later. You're, um, I mean, we should say, when I was listening to an interview with you earlier, you, thanks to your mum, your French is spot on. You're like native. Oh yeah, I speak it fluently. I've... She's been talking to me from birth, so French and, and English was pretty much learned at the same time for me. Which must have been handy last season. You're not you're not just rocking up as the typical Brit abroad. No, it was nice. I was able to actually talk with the referees and understand what was going on, uh, talk with my teammates. No one was able to say anything behind my back. I was, <laughs> I, was I was I was integrated through everything. So, but it was cool. It was definitely cool. Something I always wanted to do: play um, in France and near my mom's family. It's just a shame it was a COVID year, so there was no fans at games or really much movement around. Was it nice in a way, despite those limitations, to you know, reconnect a bit from you, with your French side last year? I would like to say yes, but unfortunately, no. France was one of the stricter countries, so we had 6 p.m. curfew. We had only supermarkets and pharmacies open, so it was real life cross the street from the apartments where we live to go to practice and then come back every day. Wow. So I could have been I could have been anywhere in the world and it wouldn't have changed. So this season has been a bit of a liberation. Oh, it's been it's been wonderful. I feel like I'm 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 getting back to regular life again. <laughs> I mean you you you've had lots of different experiences you know as a kid, you know, notwithstanding sort of two parents from, from, from other parts of the world. But you know, you're a Westminster boy. And you start off playing at Westminster Warriors. Great club, great tradition there. 
and but you sort of bounced around different places within within London and the you know your your basketball journey to start. I mean, where where did they take you, and, and why the sort of movement that you find on route? So where I live in London is Queens Park, so Mobley Sports Centre, the the historic Mobley Sports mm. Centre in West London is literally a five minute walk from my house. So I used to actually play football there. And during half-term camps, they started doing basketball. My mom would take me to it and all the other sports that they had. And I kind of just kept going every week, started to like it. Ended up starting with, like you said, Westminster Warriors at under-12s. And when I got to under-14s, I moved to a club called London Pioneers. But the only reason why I did was because all the coaches from Westminster Warriors actually left and started their own team. So it was still based in West London. It was still right next to my house, but it was just uh, Che Poyas and Jimmy Markham. They just wanted to start their own team. They started it from the ground up, and I just followed suit. So I ended up staying there for all my under-14s. Got to go to an RAF Final Four, which was pretty cool. <laughs> that's, a, that's a throwback when you think about it. And then I did under-16s there too. And wasn't really much moving around after that until my last year of under-16s, where I was just starting to become part of the national team. I started making some friends through it. Um, Joe Jr. was the, the biggest influence on me then. And I wanted to be a part of a team that could win because we just weren't really a great team. And I thought if I was part of a winning team, I could kind of showcase myself a little bit more. So we spoke about maybe getting him to come to Pioneers, but ultimately it made sense for me to probably leave. So I went with him one day to a practice in East London for NASA to give it a try. They were very accommodating. They thought I'd be the missing piece for their team. And I decided to make the move to well, play in East London, which at that time was crazy because I was 15. Living in West London going to school in like Northwest London in Harrow and then commuting an hour and a half to to Newham just to play basketball. My mum thought I was crazy. <laughs> I mean, how competitive was that scene for you? Because, you know, there's so many different clubs in London and different programmes, etc. I mean, did it feel like, you know, there was a lot at stake within that environment? Was there a lot at stake? No, because, I mean, looking back at it now, we didn't really think much of it. We were just 15, 14, 15, 16-year-olds playing basketball and actually all being friends and getting along. It just seemed like, hey, let's just do this together. No real team in London wins because it seemed like every year a London team always gets to the Final Four and then somehow loses to like um, Cheshire or Manchester Magic or something like that because London is so talented but it's so spread out. You don't have all the best talent in the same team. And that year, um, we were really talented. I mean, we had Miles Lawrence Smart that was really good in the junior level. We had Joe Jr. that's now playing professional BBL. We had Boban, who's up at Glasgow right now. We had Cavell Bigby Williams that's playing in Poland now. We, we literally had like four D1 players at the time that didn't even realise that it would be like that in the future. With you living in, as you said, West London. But you went to school in a, 
I dare say one of the nicest places in London. Yeah, um, for my first half of secondary school, uh, I was fortunate to get into St. Thomas More Language College, which is um, not one of the easiest schools to get into in London and something that my parents really pushed me to, to get into. And, that, and that's in Knightsbridge, which for you know, people who don't know London's right, you know, this is where Harrods is located. Um, I, I guess you, you're, you're probably taking quite a nice bus route to school that's probably like something off a Monopoly board. No, nah, it was um, it was a really nice way to to go to school every morning. I mean, I travelled through Oxford Street, Hyde Park Corner, all the way now Knightsbridge with all the the big shops. The best time was Christmas. Like now, when they put the big Christmas decoration up and everything, and then literally just a stone's throw away from Sloan Square. So probably in the nicest part of Chelsea you could or live in. But I was going to school there every day. I guess your your school uniform had to be absolutely top notch, right label and all that kind of stuff. Nah, it was it was really nice. I had a good blazer. Um, <laughs> my mom wanted me to wear proper shoes, but I I, I always wore kickers, so <laughs> I made it work. And um, a lot of guys around your age went, went to Barking Abbey, and and you didn't. And I, yeah, I know there was that wasn't exactly something that always sat well with you. I mean, now the way I see basketball in England is a little bit different because guys can pretty much kind of go anywhere they want and there's enough visibility that you can move on or go somewhere after. But at the time, this was Hoops Fix was just starting up. Like, that was new and no one really knew about it. So it was really like, if you was a somebody and you could play basketball in London, it was kind of like, a badge of honour if you went to Barking Abbey. Like, everyone looked at it like, okay, you can play, you're just supposed to go there. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, I wanted to go at the time. There was something that, at that age, I mean, five of my teammates are all going to Barking Abbey. They're travelling together. They're coming to practice together. They got the uniform. They're talking about all the games and who they're playing with. I wanted to go. I wanted to be a part of it. But for whatever reasons... I probably just wasn't good enough or they wasn't interested. So it wasn't an option for me and it wasn't something that was available. So I took it on the chin. I kept going. And it's crazy enough because when, like, in my life, a lot of times when one door is closed, another is opened. And that was almost like the start because by that door closing, the one that opened was the opportunity to to meet someone that has impacted my life greatly in Gary Maitland. Um, he approached me at interregional tournament at the same time when Barking Abbey was looking at players, and he mentioned that he was starting something at Harrow High. Uh, he introduced who he was. He spoke to me and my dad, and honestly, at that time, I didn't really pay much mind to it. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know about Harrow. I didn't want to hear any of it. It was kind of like barking at me or nothing. So that situation ended. A couple of my friends at that time, uh, Warren Parkinson, Connie Marius, they ended up actually going to Harrow that year nine time. So they started going. I'm still going to my school, St. Thomas More. But because we play for Pioneers together, I'm seeing them at every practice. And they're like, yo, we're practicing before school, we're practicing during school, we're practicing after school. Gary's this, Gary's that. And 
I was like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad that you guys enjoy it. And then one day he actually came with them after the school practice to our pioneers practice to talk to me again. And then I'm thinking, if this grown man is coming to talk to me at 13 years old at my practice, wanting to be at school, maybe he's serious. So I remember I, I sat my parents down, which at the time that was probably crazy. And I was like, look, I know we did a lot to get me into this school, but I want to transfer to Harrow High. I have good grades, so it's going to translate over there. And I just really want to play basketball. And this will allow me to do more of it. How useful is it to someone like Gary, who's you know big skills development coach, you know knows knows the nuances of the game so well, to be there to give you advice at a point when you know that's when you want at that point you want your skills to be up to par, you want to be learning new things, and you want to have people who can steer you in the right direction. For me, it was almost like a cheat code, but even then, at the time, Gary wasn't into skills and and individual coaching and all that stuff that he's kind of taken over the scene with now. At that time, Gary was straight up just a coach. And there was just something in me that he said that just drawn him to me. I remember the first thing he told me, he was like, look, you come across uncoachable. But when I talk to you, you have your head on your shoulders. And that's the first thing we're going to have to change. And honestly, he just channeled all the aggression that I had and he taught me how to work. And he was just somebody that believed in me. I mean, my parents always believed in me in everything I did, but this was like the first person that believed in me basketball-wise. He was like, look, you have something and you haven't quite figured it out yet, but that's why you're here. He literally would bring me into the gym at 7 a.m. And it was something I could only think of in movies because no caretaker or anybody in England wants to open anything before it's, it's necessary to be done everyone just does their time and it just instilled a work ethic into me that i didn't even know i had it was it was crazy i mean he was the the one that kind of got everything in motion and he's been my right hand man ever since then i mean it's crazy to think it's been 12 years since i've known him and i can't even make a decision without at least running it through him now why do you feel, or why did people tell you that you came across uncoachable? Because I was just always complaining, always <laughs> angry, just, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people said I had the reputation of being, um, how do you say it, a show-off in my younger years. Like Everyone just thought I was big-headed. And me, I just saw it as like a chip on my shoulder because I wanted to prove to everybody, like, look, I can play, I'm good, like, I felt like I was always being overlooked. So I always made it a point that when there was people watching that I would be remembered no matter what. When you went, got to about the age of 16, and as you say, you were playing for England and it switched to NASA. But there was a, there was a thing you said at the time, so you didn't really want to be playing under 18 basketball. You wanted to be playing men's basketball. And that's mm -hmm. when, you know, probably quite an unusual shift that you go from London to SGS College in Bristol, you know, age of 16, you know, mum and dad are back, back, you know, elsewhere, joining the, what's, you know, effectively Bristol Flyers Academy. And, you know, at the time, how difficult the decision was it to essentially sacrifice the life that you know, when, you know, it's a, you know you've, you've kind of got all these ducks lined up and it's close to home and everything and go to a, 
a new setting, not that far away, but a new setup, new place, new challenges? Um, maybe I'm just a little bit crazy, but it, it kind of <laughs> was easy. And I would say it was easy because when I was leaving, I knew why I was leaving. I wasn't leaving. I was leaving for a reason. I was leaving to play basketball, play NBL men's at the time. And that's what I wanted to do. In a perfect world, I would have done it in London. Gary, I had Gary reach out to Westminster Warriors because they had a D1 team at the time. And they said, look, you're under 18s. Why are you going to play D1? Like you, you stick to your age group. Uh, Brixton Topcats had a D1 team at the time too. And it was crazy enough because Jimmy Markham, who used to be my old junior coach, was the coach at that time too. But Brixton was like, we're linked with South Bank, the uni guys and our men's play. Like he would play under 18s. And then I was going to stay to play for London Pioneers Division Three men's. And I was actually going to stay at Harrow High and pl continue playing for Gary because I just couldn't see myself leaving him. And he told me, like, no, you're not staying here. You have to go. And I was like, I don't want to. And he was like, well, listen, you, you can't stay here. You have to go and play men's somewhere. So I spoke to a few coaches. And you know Andreas? Mm. He has a setup at Bristol. You might or might not play, but he will give you the opportunity. There was the same opportunity with uh, Manchester Magic and then Loretto College at the time. But I just seen it as I lose every year in the finals to Manchester. I'm never going to join them. Like, that that could never happen. So I just ripped that off. And then um, Medway was an opportunity too because, um, ooh, I forgot the coach's name, but he really liked me. And I think he was involved with England under-15s at the time. And he was just like, look, you could come to the college here and be part of the Division One for Medway Park Crusaders. And then ultimately, I played under-16s for the national team that year for Andrea. So it just made sense to just stick it out with him. And because we used to have camps in Bristol all the time, I was kind of familiar with the area. And then I just got up one day and said, yeah, let's go. And I was there within a couple of weeks. With that came getting to play a year in the BBL. And just to kind of put it in context, obviously, if you want to go to college... You can't get paid. You have to retain your amateur status. But you, know, you got a lot of game time for a season with it within the British League. I mean, hard instructive was it? You know, you, you're, I want to say a boy, but you're a young man getting to play against men who maybe been pro for ten years and know all the tricks. And I guess probably look at you coming along and going, "Well, we can have some fun with this kid." Hard <laughs> mentally challenging was that for you to, to fit in to you know to make yourself an assertive presence against senior players that was easy mm. like i think being in bristol for the two years before prepared me mm. just because of the fact with the core of the british players i was already established and had a role with them so they knew what i brought to the table and andreas already had been coaching me for two years so a lot of the stuff that he had to iron out at the start was kind of sorted for but really and truly, this was what I was waiting for. I wanted to play in the BBL at that time. I thought I was ready, but I mean, I'm a kid. Of course, I'm going to think I'm ready. You never really know till you're, till you're in it. And I was just excited. I didn't play that much at the start of my BBL year. Uh, we had Doug Herring Jr., which was a, a really good import at the point guard position for us at that time. 
and he won us a lot of games. And towards November, December time of that season, he actually um, tore his meniscus. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunate situation. I mean, he was the heart and soul of our team, but when he went down, it actually opened up a lot of minutes at that spot for me until we were able to replace him with another import. So I remember those first three games, I'm going from maybe getting five, six, seven minutes a game to getting like 25, 30. And I just ran with it. I think our first game was like Surrey. I had like 17 points and seven rebounds. Then I had another big game and then I had another big game. And then we had our new American, uh, Brie Perrine, that ended up coming in. But I'd played well for three games in minutes that Andreas almost couldn't not play me anymore. <laughs> so he kept me in the rotation. I ended up being the sixth man. But now I'm getting 20, 25 minutes a game. And then I just I just kept it going. I, I just I had my opportunity and I seized it. Um, when I seized it, I was able to, to cap off a good, a good end of my BBO career. And my confidence was just through the roof because I said to myself, I can do this against guys that have done four years of college and are pros. Let's just imagine what I can do against guys that are actually my age in college. Did you always feel at that point that it was going to be America, it was going to be college, rather than going, hey, you know, I could jump pro, I could maybe spend another season here, or I could jump into Europe and look for a deal. I mean, was, was that always the American dream? Yeah, the American dream was always there. I think if I decided to opt it out, it would have been when I went for the trial in France, that would have already happened. But it was a dream. My mum made me promise her that I would always go to uni and get my degree. And it was kind of do or die, because I remember telling her, look, I'm never going to go to uni in England. This is just not for me. So I'm either going to go to uni in America and play there, or I'm just not going to go. So I was pretty fortunate to be able to go. You were at the first, in the midst of all this, you were at the first Den Camp. I think it was 2015, if, if, if yes. And Well, the first of the new, the, the new Den Top 50 mm. type camp, yeah. What, what role did that play in getting you spotted or just enhancing your reputation? Uh, at that time, I don't think much. Um, guys pretty much knew who I was. Um, it wasn't nothing new. I mean, now I'm just in the same place as everybody else and I get to prove to them that, look, I really am better than you guys. Um, I was battling between one and two in the rankings throughout the whole camp and then actually ended up finished fifth in the ranking. So that kind of threw me off. I remember being agitated about that. But it just added more fuel to the fire. I was like, okay, cool. You think these four guys are better than me? Uh, I'll show you and it just it, I just use any little thing across my journey to like just keep adding like um you know the old steam trains back in the day just keep adding fire keep adding coal keep adding whatever and it's just going to keep me going well if you're a basketball coach looking to develop your team or if you're a basketball player looking to improve your performance you'll want to hear about this new AI multi-sports app called Team Sports. The app is free, and as a player, you can practice exercises and drills using only your phone without the need for additional equipment. You'll be able to visualize reps, sessions, speed and accuracy, as well as challenging teammates. The app will store all of your progress in an organized way so you can showcase your performance and progress 
with your coach. Now, as a coach, you can easily manage your teams and players with Team Sports. Its intuitive dashboard hosts team rosters, organizes exercises, plans, and analyzes players' activity as well as their progress. Analytics will allow you to compare players' performance and see who is heading up the leaderboard. If you're interested in improving your game both on and off the court, then Team Sports is for you. Visit www.teamsports.pro, that's Team Sports with a Z, or download the app on your iPhone or Android. To hello to your Ogan Lays, our guest on the MVP cast. You've spoken so much about you know, trying to prove yourself. And I, I wonder, does that... As a, as a character trait and as a, you know, a, a motivational tool on a daily basis, do you still try to keep that kind of hunger within your DNA you know, when you get out of bed in the morning? Um, do I try to? No. Does it happen? Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't explain it. Like I could wake up and be in a good mood when I just go on Twitter and I see something and it just triggers me. And it's like, okay, I'm just locked in again. Because, I don't know, I, I don't think I'm, I've reached anything yet. I don't think I'm nowhere, nowhere near I should be. So I can't really be satisfied because I'm, I haven't done nothing yet, really. Like, it's cool to look back and say, okay, I've done this, that, and the third. But in the grand scheme of things, it's minor. So maybe one day I could fortunately be in a situation where I can take off a lot of things that are in the back of my mind and say, okay, I'm, I've done this, I've done that, I'm, I'm good. But I'm 25 years old now and the world's my oyster still, so now i got to keep going. Because your Twitter bio is quite interesting. Was it, I read it out here. It says, hated by many, wanted by plenty, disliked by some, confronted by none. Where did that come from and, and how did it end up as, as, as your statement to the world on social media? just came from from when I was at Harrow High. We we kind of had this philosophy. It was kind of like us against the world. And I like to say as an adult now, probably I hope not that many people hate me. But I don't know. The way my character trait is, I kind of feel like you either love me or you hate me. There's no real in-between. When I get along with people, it's really well. And when I don't, they just get rubbed the wrong way. So... I just thought it was cool and I stuck with it. And it's funny because no matter what like people think of me, I don't, I've never really been confronted negatively. But it is what it is. What's, it's, your, it's, what's your approach to social media? Because you, you tweet a lot. I mean, you tweet about Arsenal. Fantastic. You know, an, ex, <laughs> an excellent choice. Um, but how do you use Twitter? How do you use social media and, and you know, Instagram as well? And what, what's, what's the use of it for you? The use of it for me is just kind of just stay in the loop of news uh see what's going on in my friends lives because honestly i'm i'm really out of the loop a lot being or playing basketball you kind of sacrifice the social life and then moving around a lot i feel like i miss so many moments of my family and my friends around me life so it really keeps me in the loop of it all and then just to unwind to laugh to joke to see funny stuff i'm not really posting that much on it but I'm active on socials and I just find it funny. When was the last time you wrote a tweet and then decided not to send it? Honestly, I don't think it's happened. I, I'm not really one to, to worry about what I say, but I also know that social media is not the best place to express yourself. So 
I would more so like write in my group chat with my friends or something like that as opposed to online. There's, there's, I don't know. I mean, you see so many stories of like athletes nowadays kind of like hurting their careers or, or hurting their brand by emotionless, tw- like emotional tweets. So I try and keep emotion out of it because it has nothing to do with it. Do you learn things on Twitter? I mean, certainly, you know, you, you, I've seen you retweeting, obviously, other players. I mean, do, does those things that you ever pick up about basketball just from following people or, you know, taking interest in people? No, but I have seen more so when I've been a professional that I'm not kind of the only person that goes through the stuff I go through. Like, I realise there's a lot more players that are playing overseas and abroad that kind of go through the same stuff I go through. Um, the transition of new teams, the transition of cultures, the um, situations with with clubs and teams and and how it works. I mean, there's some moments when you're not in the highest of high or the, you're not low, low, but you're by yourself. I don't know, nine to 10 months of the year away from friends, family, and it can be hard sometimes. So it, it makes me feel like other people are going through it and they've overcome it. So I definitely will with anything that happens to me. I mean, talking about overcoming things, I mean, fortunately enough, things have been pretty smooth here, but there was, there was that one time, I think, before one of the under 20 European Championships finals, you were in the squad. And then day before the tournament, broken foot out of nowhere. And, and you were out for a while. I mean, a lot of people find that, uh, much as it's a pain in every sense of the word, you, you you learn something from those kind of comebacks. I mean, was that period frustrating though it would have been? Did, did it help at that stage in any sense? Frustrating, yes, it was. Because I remember I just had a big freshman year and I came back for the summer and I, I thought that, that that European tournament was going to be mine. I thought we were going to win it all, um, get promotion from Div B to Div A. And for it to just end like that before it even started, um, definitely sucked. Um, Would it have been worse? I think it would have been worse if I did it during the year as opposed to the summertime because Mm -hmm. I always knew that I would be back for the start of my next college season. So I think the making sure I was back kind of motivated me and kept me going, but it was definitely tough to almost for the first time in my life, watch from the sidelines, but not watching because I'm not checking in or the coach is not playing me. Like I literally can't play if I wanted to, there's nothing I can do. I'm doing rehab, which is hard and painful and it just really made me realize how much it sucks and how much I need to look after my body to make sure that this is something minimal in my life because it's not fun at all. Do you come back hungrier? I mean, you know, so you're hungry to succeed anyway, but you know, does, does it give you that sort of thing of, I couldn't play this for a while. Actually, I kind of like it. I don't want to feel like this again. Most definitely. But then also as I got older, I also learned that you need to take your time too because you're so hungry, you're trying to make up for all that lost time right away. And when you do that, you kind of almost hurt yourself. And that's kind of what I did. I was trying to get it all back and I didn't rest enough or 
balance my practice and, and rest schedule because when I came back from my broken foot, my foot used to swell up all the time and I wouldn't really look after it. And I, I just almost messed up my first half of the season in my sophomore year for no reason, just because of I was too hungry and I was too trying to get back. When you look at that kind of group that that came through of that sort of age, and you know, there's a few names you mentioned: Boban, Bowen Jetton, me, Fraser Malcolm's team at the Rocks, and BBL. You've got guys like Josh Steele, Dean Williams, who's you know, was in this this squad for the first time at a senior level. Do, do you guys sort of keep in touch? Because you know those can be quite sort of tough bonding experiences together when you're away for two or three weeks in the summer, and of course everyone's wants to succeed and you kind of have your dreams of you know, going on to that next level. And is, is there a, an ongoing relationship you have with some of those guys? Um, yeah, it's definitely like anything. Some guys you have um, closer relationships with and talk during out the year. And some people, it's literally, when I see them, it's, we, we talk, we laugh, we joke, we reminisce on the old times, but we don't really keep in touch too much. It's just kind of, I don't know, everyone just, develops friendships kind of based on their lifestyle or how they came up or just what they get along with. Before we talk about seniors, um, when you went to Bradley University, which is in, in Illinois, and you, you did business there, um, mm-hmm. and I, again, looking back to something you, you did said in an interview at the time, you, you wanted to know about you know, that world of business, whether it was sports and whether it was marketing, etc. Just what... What application does that give you when you're trying to understand this sort of bigger ecosystem that sits around you as a player, whether it's you know clubs, whether it's national teams, whether it's you know, sponsors or agents or whatever? I mean, does it does it give you that bit extra that helps you to process and and do well out of this business of basketball? It really opened my eyes that it's all a business, like everything. It doesn't matter what it is. And I know we always talk about basketball is fun and uh, we do it because we care and this, that, and the third. Like, I love basketball, but basketball is a business. If you don't win games as a professional, um, I mean, the first people they're going to look at is either the coach or the imports. And if they're not happy, they're going to make changes. It's as simple as that. (laughs) Because, well, winning equals money and money is the bottom line which is sad to say because it shouldn't be all the time but it's just the reality in which the world works and that helps me open my eyes to it college helped me because it wasn't like bbl when i was in college it was almost run like it was an nba team and i say this because i played in an arena with twelve thousand um fans and we were about 80 to 85 capacity 85% capacity every game. And we had a couple sold out games. Um, in BBL, we're busing on the day of games, two games. In college, I'm not making a dime, but we're charring. I'm flying private. We're getting a bus that takes us onto the tarmac. Some people take our bags. I walk onto a plane. It's only us and five minutes later, they're closing the door and we're flying off to another city. The day before, to stay in a nice hotel, have anything you want. And then again, play in another arena full of tens of thousands of fans for the away team. Like, my coach was making close to seven figures, and I'm thinking, this is crazy, because it just doesn't make sense to me. And 
that's when my brain just started clicking and I just wanted to figure it all out because if this is how it really works, I need to be on top of things. Otherwise, I'll get taken advantage of and I can't let that happen. What's the, uh, what's the transportation process like in Italy? Is it, is it buses? Is it trains? Is it the occasional charter? Uh, no char, no, no, no char here. Char is kind of, kind of reserved for Euro Cup and Euro League teams right now. Um, pretty much bus, um, standard bus. I mean, it would be a nice bus. Have tables, have a TV, have everything that you need, and then usually leave the day before. If it's a longer journey, you might take the train, or if you're playing a team on the islands like Trapani or Capo, you'll take a flight. Ryanair probably, so not much leg room, but <laughs> you make it work. But so this is much the... like playing for GB, Ryanair, the occasional, occasional <laughs> easy jet. Occasional easy jet, yeah. But GB, I mean, we got some with the men's. We have some some good guys that really keep it, keep it going, and and, and keep it in motion. I mean, Chris Morris and Jamie, they don't really get much credit, but if it wasn't for them, this ship would not be be sailing the way it is right now because. I mean, it's, it's GB basketball. We're not going to get funding. And if we do, we're going to get very minimal. And everyone understands that there's a bigger picture. A lot of guys come in understanding it's not going to be really the glitz and glamours that we get at our clubs, but we're going to get what we need. They're going to make sure. And we understand that if we win games and put GB on the map and show what we can do, it will open up stuff in the future. And even though it may not be for us, at least the next generation of kids that, that come through the senior men's, they will have some of the stuff that we didn't have or they will have the support that we needed. So hopefully it just leaves the game in a better place. Yeah, Jamie Smith and uh, Chris Morris, two titans of behind the scenes of British basketball. Um, I mean, you talked about understanding it's not going to be the glitz and glamour, but how do you, what's your relationship to that senior programme at the moment? Because you'll see, Nate Ranking, slightly one step removed as head coach being in the States. It still hasn't got the funding that we all know, all know and believe that it deserves. And where does it fit into your, I guess, career plan? Because you know, as you said, it's a business. Where does it fit into the, the business of being Dwayne? Just playing more basketball. Playing more basketball, playing against better teams, better players. I think it's just all cool. I was fortunate enough to be a junior national team player and I remember looking at the men's and saying I wanted to be a part of that in the future and I mean only few people actually make it to the junior ranks and even less make it to the seniors and I came into camp fresh out of college uh, summer 2019 and I was able to impress a little bit enough that they, they brought me along for the games against Luxembourg and Kosovo and they like they like my toughness, my energy. They brought me along for a couple other camps, and as they've gone on, my role kind of increased. I I kind of paid my dues, worked my way up the totem pole a bit, started carving out a bigger role. Um, the last two games that we played against Germany and France that we won, which are big games to win, um, I had opportunity to play a little bit more and. I think the guys just respect me. They know I come in and work. I, I do my job and I'm a star in my role. And they always just tell me, like, just be ready. Your time is going to come. And in my life, every time I've had an opportunity, I've seized it. And I don't think it's going to stop now. So 
looking forward to these windows coming up. Um, and then you just know that down the line there's there's Eurobasket 2022, which everyone is going to want to be a part of. And if we take care of business in these windows, there's even the possibility of a World Cup in 2023. So I kind of look at that like, I mean, I'm playing against the best teams. NBA players are going to be back. That's something I want to be a part of. And representing my country is, is, is the cherry on top. Does that drive you on a bit this season in terms of keeping the numbers up and the performances up so that comes the next summer? when they're picking that team that you're in oh, yeah. that 12. A thousand percent. I mean, everyone knows that, that basketball is a business, so there's going to be some tough decisions that need to be made. But I just look at it like I need to keep doing what I need to do in order for when they think of me, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Like, Dwayne's in the team. It's not a matter of, oh, should we take Dwayne or should we take someone else? Like, I want it to be no debate. Um a part of the team for now and for the future and hopefully they see it that way you've got two interesting games this week let's face it it's two powerhouses of the game greece and uh, greece and turkey but is that a nice challenge i mean you saw like okay france and germany last year france wasn't the nba late in france but it's a good scalp but these are two really good teams with you know great players in your in european basketball and is this the kind of games that you live for a thousand percent I mean, Greece, they're, they're historic. They're going to be good. Uh, we all know what that's about. And then playing at home, I mean, I remember when I was in college, I watched a game where London played Greece at the Copper Box. Mm. I remember being sold out and I'm seeing everyone going crazy. And I think GB lost that game. But even then, I was like, yo, like, I want to be a part of that. That's, this is crazy. So fast forward a few years that I'm a part of it now. I'm looking forward to that. And then even Turkey, when we play in Turkey, they they showed the list. They still got plenty of guys that are good. I mean, they even got Shane Larkin on the roster that uh, EuroLeague MVP of FS. And even though he's an American, he got a Turkish passport and he's going to be playing for them. So it's going to be real fun to, to see these kind of players up live and just seeing where you measure up against them. And are you ready for the Lions' den of Istanbul? I mean, I, I can't complain. I, I want to play big teams in the most hostile environment. I mean, you have to you have to beat the best to be the best. So this is what we have to do. It's going to be us against the world when we go there, and we know it. But it should be fun. And then you got guys like Gabe that's been playing in Turkey, that's familiar with the atmosphere. Tariq has played in Turkey. So we got some guys that, that know really what it's about. So they'll make sure we're ready. And you make sure you pack your earplugs because it's noisy. It's really <laughs> noisy in that arena. Um, I mean, last thing on the, I mean, these two games. Um, I mean, having qualified for Eurobasket, and obviously there's been a bit of continuity of, of, of personnel over the last couple of years. Does it get to a point where you guys have that, I don't know if it's confidence, but will you actually set out the stall of, you know what, it may be Greece, it might be Turkey, but, you know, let's let's go out there and try and beat them. I don't even think it's a matter of let's try uh, we literally come out with that mentality. And it's funny because like a lot of guys on the team are kind of similar to me in the fact that like we know we're GB men's players. Like We, we shouldn't feel underlooked, but we kind of feel like it just because everyone kind of looks at, at great basketball in the basketball world as like Davis and all these big teams are supposed to be the Goliaths that we should be scared of, but we're just not. We have a weird continuity in which, like, 
the main core of the guys have kind of been in and out every camp. So when we have these short windows, it kind of plays to our advantage because we kind of know what we have to do. And there's no egos. Everyone's bought in. Everyone's on the same page. And it's kind of like we know we won't individually beat these teams. But if we collectively do our jobs and do what we're supposed to do, we will. And it's paid dividends. I mean, I think I got like eight caps for GB men's. And I think I won seven games. Like, I've only lost one game. Like, it's crazy when you really think about it. I'm not mad. I want to keep my streak going because... I don't know, maybe I can finish with the best winning percentage in history sometime down the line. So let's just keep this going. Yeah, I mean, it's been an incredible run the last few years. So it, 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 just take the credit. It's your fault. It's yeah, I'm, I'm, it, I'm the it, good You came time. along and everyone started winning. If you want to win games, just put me on your team. It's <laughs> There's your new Twitter handle. That's what it makes <laughs> it change. <laughs> anyway, if you want to follow Dwayne on Twitter, you can go to two, at 2DLO3. Very entertaining. I highly recommend it. And um, Dwayne... Thanks for stopping by. Lots of two wins this week and um, continued success. And then here's to a great season for you again. No, thank you very much. And thanks for having me. It should be fun. That was great. Thanks, Dwayne. <laughs> That's it for this edition of the MVP cast brought to you by Team Sports. You can find them on Twitter at Team Sports underscore. That's Team Sports with a Z. Don't forget you subscribe to the post-up MVP's newsletter packed with original features and insights directly into your inbox. Head to MVP247.com to sign up today. That's also where you can find our Patreon page if you want to support the work that we do. Or you can listen there to previous editions of the podcast, including our recent ones with Bennett Cook and Helen Naylor. If you want to reach out to me, find me on Twitter at Mark Brickle. But another edition of the MVP cast coming very very soon. For me, Mark Woods, thank you so much for listening and it's goodbye.